Uh, if you want to open your Bibles at Acts 14, we're going to be basing ourselves there today. Joseph is meant to be here. He's going to help me out in a second. So he's not just lurking to surprise me. He is planned to be there. He's going to help us all create a memorable moment in this message. So Acts 14, just to give a little bit of context before we read it. Paul and Barnabas, apostles set apart by the Holy Spirit at the church in Antioch, are sent. Go and proclaim the good news about Jesus. Go. And so they do. They go to Cyprus. They meet a sorcerer. And under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit, Paul prays and he's blinded. But God's good news is proclaimed. And then they move on to Pisidia and Antioch and preach the good news. They go to the synagogue, share this message, God's story, Paul's story of what God has done with him. God moving through Paul and people respond to that message. But eventually there's opposition and they're expelled. So they move on again, this time to Iconium. And so we're going to start our Bible reading today from verse 1 in Acts 14 in Iconium. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to ill-treat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the good news. We've got Paul and Barnabas, apostles set apart by the Holy Spirit to go and bring the good news across different cities as the Holy Spirit leads them. And today we've got a job to do. We've got to work out what this passage means, what they're doing, what God is doing through them. And then we've got to work out what it means for our lives. But for most of us, if not all of us in the room, we might not have the apostolic call to move on a regular basis to different cities and preach the gospel. I suspect that's most of us. We've not got that particular call. But there is a truth. There are many truths in this passage for us to get hold of, for those who know and love Jesus, to help us know and how to follow him effectively. To help us be a disciple of Jesus. To help us make disciples for Jesus. So we have to work a little bit hard. The application isn't necessarily obvious. So I'm going to suggest a few things. There may be alternative ways that God might speak to you as you read this passage. But I'm going to suggest a few ways that God might say to us, might challenge us on in terms of how we live out our discipleship to Jesus. So if you're a note taker, I've got four points today. Here's point number one. Speak. Won't take you long to write that down. Point number two. Speak. Point number three. Speak. And point number four. Speak. 
I will add additional words to that and explain, but there are going to be four instances we see in this passage where we're encouraged to speak in different types of ways. And I want to give us a title that is memorable. Now, are there any fans of Encanto in the building? I think a few yet, and let me apologize in advance for this. There is a song called We Don't Talk About Bruno. We're going to change that lyric slightly. Joseph, are you there? We're going to talk about Jesus, yes, yes. We're going to talk about Jesus. That's as far as it goes. <laughs> I've not worked on the lyrics. Thank you, Thank you Joseph. So we're not going to talk about Bruno. That is not the takeaway message. This is it. We're going to talk about Jesus. Speak, 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 speak. We're going to talk about Jesus. Let's get stuck in it. We're also going to get helped. This is very exciting. Sam, Mayton, you're going to love this. We're going to use birds to help us get hold of these four speaks. Four birds, four speaks. Off we go, shall we? Verse 1. Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. As usual. They, why do they go to the synagogue? Because it's a lovely building. No, because it's easily accessible. No, because there's a connection. There's a shared heritage. They want to speak where they're already connected. They want to speak in a place where they're going to be received, where they're known. Now, has anyone come across a grey parrot? We're going to get a grey parrot up? I don't know. We'll see in a second. It might be a grey parrot. A grey parrot is one of the best mimics. It can copy sounds. Anything from car alarms to people to other animals. And experts say this is because they want to fit in with the flock. So you stick them next to a car alarm, they want to fit in with the car alarm, so they copy it. You stick them in a house, they want to fit in with the house, so they copy the noises. You sit them in with lots of other birds, they copy birds. They are mimics. They're trying to find connections. They're trying to make sure they're building bridges. They're part of what's happening. Sometimes we need to speak in that way, in a very simple way. We just need to find connections with the people that we're working with, with the people that we live with, the people that are on our road. If we skip into Acts 17, we can see Paul doing this with the Athenian Greeks. He wanders in to Athens. Acts 17, verse 22. It says this, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. He's making connections. He's saying there's some similarities. I understand where you're coming from. There's an unknown God. There's a God. You recognize there's a God. I do too. He's building a bridge. He's trying to work out what those connections are. And we have opportunities to do that sometimes with our friends and connections. With those of the Islamic faith, we can say yes you believe there's one God, we do too. You've got prophets, we do too. There's some connections, there's some similarities. There are some differences, we'll come to that later. There's some connections. Or maybe, I've often found when I mention that I work for a church or go to church, lots of people have had some experience of church in their past and they'll happily mention that. They want to connect with me about that. 
It's an opportunity to have a, a, a wonder, an exploration. Are there any connections already here? Is God already at work? Is God saying something? Is God doing something? Do you have some history? So the first speak is this, speak to find connections. The second one is this though, speak effectively. They spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. What did they say? What was speaking effectively? What is that? What did they say? We don't know. Chapter 13, we go back a chapter, we hear Paul in the synagogue. They probably said something like that. Something of their story, something of the Old Testament story, building those bridges and then saying, but look, Jesus came in. He broke in and he changed my life. Look what Jesus has done. They probably mentioned something about that. In fact, they definitely mentioned Jesus. But we can read these words and say, they spoke so effectively and suddenly the pressure comes and we think, I can't do this. I can't speak effectively. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to help you with this one. Because sometimes it's helpful to look in different translations and see how the Greek has been translated. So the New Testament in the NIV version says, speak effectively. With other versions, we get things like this. They spoke in such a way that a great number of people believed. Or if you like the archaic King James version, it says, they spake. They simply spake. In such a way, and a great number believed. Let me encourage you this. Well, let's, let's go to the bird. Time for a bird again. This is one of the favorite birds in our household. It's a curlew. Lily loves a curlew. We're very blessed in Sheffield that if you wander out to Longshore or Redmire, you will very likely see a curlew at this time of year. Now, we've been out three times recently and not seen one, but you can. They're quite rare, but you can see them. Now, the likelihood is that you'll hear them first before you see them. Because they have a very unique call, which I'm going to attempt to replicate. But I've got a dry mouth, so it might be a struggle. Silence, please. Now, come here, thank you. thank you. It's unique, and on the moors of Redmires, you will hear that and you'll instantly know a curlew is around. You'll hear lots of other twittering and tweeting, and it's not quite as clear which bird it is, unless you're Adrian Vickers and you know exactly which bird it is. He's not in the room, name check Adrian. But curlews, sound completely different, so you can recognize them. Here's the challenge, here's the second way of speaking. Or speaking effectively is more like, speak like a curlew. You've got to say something different to what everyone else is saying. You can't just agree with everyone else around you. If we're going to make disciples, people who know and love Jesus, we've got to say something different. And based on our theme song for today, that something different is about Jesus fundamentally and primarily. It can be other things as well, but my encouragement, what we see from here is they would have spoken about Jesus. Do you find that easy? Do you find it easy to drop the J-bomb into a conversation? So I was at the shops the other day and I bought a pack of Christmas and I said, thank you, Jesus! Snuck it in, they didn't notice. It's fine. No one's, I just dropped it in there. See what happened. It's not that straightforward, is it? 
But if you find you're getting a little bit of courage, if you find the spirit is stirring you, let me give you a couple of questions you might want to ask to help get that conversation. Rather than feeling like you've got to speak effectively, why not ask questions that elicit some sort of response? Here's one question. Who do you think Jesus really is? It's a fascinating answer you'll get. Most people will say, well, he was a good example and a good teacher. And if you want some help in responding to that, you can look up C.S. Lewis's argument on this. He says, there's no way that we can ever conclude that Jesus was a good teacher. It's a ridiculous answer to that question. You don't respond like that, of course. But that's what you know, because he said he was God. So if he's a good teacher and says he's God, he's either mad or he's a liar. He's not a good teacher. So you could, if you want, you can push back, but you started the conversation. You said, who do you think Jesus is? Or even better, you can explain the resurrection and say, the way that the Bible explains this, the fact that there's nobody, Jesus' body was never found. The way the Bible explains this is that Jesus rose from the dead. How do you explain it? Because historically, that is affirmed not just by the Bible, but by other historical sources that the body was never found. How do you explain it? It's hilarious watching people trying to come up with how they explain that. They hid the body uh, and then all went on to be killed apart from John. Because that's a really clever thing to do, isn't it? We'll make up the fact that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, didn't die, we'll hide the body, and then we'll all go and get killed for it because it's a message that's not true. It makes no sense. You see, the resurrection of Jesus finds us in a place where we've got an excellent opportunity to speak effectively or ask questions effectively and see what happens. Can you drop the J-bomb this week? If you want, this might help you. Steve Hurd did this with, with some of us in lockdown. He set this homework. Here's your homework. Go and share your story, your testimony, how you came to know Jesus with a friend this week. I nervously and tentatively did that homework with my neighbour on a run where he was unable to speak, so it's a perfect opportunity for me to talk to him. Can I speak at you for a few minutes? Yeah, you can. Can I just tell you, I've had some homework set by this man called Steve. He said, I've got to share my story of faith with someone this week. Can you be that person? Fine. He, he had no choice. We were running, so I had to listen. I, I, I just, if you say... On Sunday, this man called Ben, who did a weird song at the start, said to me that my home for this week is to tell my story of faith, how I came to know Jesus, with someone this week. Can you be that someone? I reckon 90 to 95% of people will say yes to that question. The question is, will you take that as your homework? Will you open your phone and put it in your task list? Will you write it on your notepad on your to-do list? Homework for the week. Tell someone my story. No pressure. I'm not checking up. But it gives you a tool, a way in, to help you speak about Jesus or speak effectively. There are other ways as well. You can invite people to events. You can share YouTube videos. You can give them a book. There are ways of speaking effectively that doesn't involve us actually speaking. You can, you can also get your friends to come and meet your friends do you, do you have these friends who have no problem just talking about Jesus? I've got three or four in this church. 
You know, and if I'm not wanting to talk about Jesus, or I'm feeling a bit nervous about it, do you know what I might do? I might think, okay, I've got some good friends. Let's get them together and see what happens. It's just working as a team. It's working together. God's given some people more courage and more ability, and some of us are a little bit more timid and need a bit of help. And that is fine. But we're a team. We're a family together. Right, let's move on to speak number three. If you talk about Jesus, it's very likely that you will face some level of opposition. It might be mild, it might be massive. But you'll probably may face some form of opposition if you keep talking about it. If you stand with a rugby ball in the middle of a field when a rugby match is happening, you're going to get hit. You're going to get tackled. That's the deal. Do not be surprised. You would not be surprised as a rugby player holding a rugby ball on a pitch if you stood still and you got tackled, would you? Because there's opposition. There's a team that wants that ball off you. We're in a world, we've heard some of it today, where the enemy is against us. There is opposition. We can expect it. Jesus said this. They hate me, so they're going to hate you if you're my, my disciples. Peter would say this in 1 Peter. Do not be surprised when you face fiery trials, when you face suffering. Do not be surprised. A rugby player is not surprised when he gets tackled. Most of the time. We should not be surprised if we begin to talk about Jesus and we face some level of opposition. And we can see it through Acts. You don't have to skip through. We start in, um, with Stephen getting stoned, the highest level of opposition. We see here in Iconium, the, the Jews refused to believe and stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. It was an active campaign against them. They faced significant opposition. We'll see it again and again in Acts. It will lead to lynch mobs. It will lead to, threat, lead to threats of stoning. Opposition will come, perhaps not at the level that we will experience in our lives. But if we're going to step out and speak about Jesus, we can expect opposition. And it's at that point in time, we need to realize what happens. Or this two-letter word in verse 3. In the face of opposition, with minds being poisoned, with an active campaign against Paul and Barnabas, what do they conclude? So, because of this, because of all this opposition, therefore, they say, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord. When opposition comes, maybe it's time to wonder, maybe time to step back. But I'd like to just gently encourage us today, via this passage, maybe it's time to speak boldly, to press in, to channel your inner dipper. A dipper is a bird. And I saw a dipper this week on Rivlin, on a stone. It just looks like an order, a slightly larger garden bird, white breast, about this big. No web feet, definitely not a duck, Definitely not a moorhead. This dipper, on a rock in the middle of it, jumps in. I'm fearing for its life, I'll be honest with you. It's in the water, under the water for 10 seconds. I'm, do I dive in? Do I need to do CPR? What's going on? This bird has risked its life. I don't know what a dipper does. The clue's in the name. It pops out back onto the rock exactly where it started with a little bit 
of a bug in its mouth. It's got food. Here is the amazing thing about a dipper. I think it's unique in this way. It can only do this where there is an opposing current. Where there is a river, it jumps in, it uses its wings to force it to the bottom of the river, and then it walks underwater to find bugs. As Isabel said this week, it's like an inverse Jesus. It doesn't walk on water, walks underwater. Just to help you get there. Maybe, if you face opposition, it's time to be a dipper, to use the opposing forces to force yourself further in to find the food, to find the fruit. Channel your inner dipper. Let's just notice here is what, what God does at this point as well. This is beautiful and wonderful. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miracles, miraculous signs and wonders. The Lord confirmed the message of his grace. Other versions of the Bible would say this, he bore witness. He gave testimony. He confirmed what they were saying. He beefed it up. He said, I'm with these guys. I'm supporting them. This is the truth. This is what's happening. How did he do that? With miraculous signs and wonders. This is my encouragement. This is, my, this is what my faith is rising to at the moment. I'd love yours to join me in this. As we step out and speak, as we speak boldly, as we use Opposing forces to push us in. The Bible would seem to suggest that God wants to come and do miracles, signs and wonders. Let's just look at Acts 4 briefly and see when the believers were pushed back, when Peter and John were in prison and they were praying. How did they pray? Acts 4 verse 29. Sorry, I'm in John, not Acts. That doesn't help. Acts 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That word again. Great boldness. But then what? Stretch out your hands to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're tying together boldness and miracles. As they step out, we've got a job to do. We've got to speak boldly about Jesus. But God, come and do miracles. Come and bear witness. Come and give testimony. Come and confirm the message that we bring is true. It's interesting what's come out in the worship today. In a few moments, I'm going to hopefully clearly preach this message of grace. And as Joe's encouraged us, in the room, God breaking out with miracles, confirming what he's doing, giving witness to the truth of his word. We're on to our fourth speak. They spoke to build connections. They speak effectively. They speak boldly. But then what happens? Verse 4. The city is Divided, a note of encouragement through this. 
Paul and Barnabas and the early church, full of the Spirit, sent out by God to go and preach the good news. Their success, their best success, is a divided city. Jesus said, I've come to divide families. I've come to divide. I've not come to bring peace on the earth. I've come to divide. Jesus divides. Because there are those who are with them and those who are against. They were never going to reach the whole city with the gospel of Jesus. The city is divided. And verse 5 we read, there's a plot to ill-treat them and stone them. What do they do now? Is it time to be more bold? To face this opposition face on? To really channel their inner dipper? To go against it and find more fruit? Well, I don't think it's as binary as yes or no. Sometimes we've just got to work out what God's saying, but in this instance, the threat of being stoned, they chose it was time to move on. I believe, and commentators would say, this is not about fear, but prudence. About wisdom. It's time to move on. A couple of years ago, I spoke on um, encouragement, sorry, joy from Philippians. and We talked about sparrowhawks. And we're going to use robins and sparrowhawks to make our final point here. Robins, the garden bird, unfortunately hunted by sparrowhawks. They love those little birds and love to kill them. If a sparrowhawk is in your area, as we had at the bottom of our garden in the valley the other week, other year, sorry, your garden birds disappear because they are fodder for sparrowhawks. So you don't see them. They are wise. They move on because they're going to get killed. They were little robins. <laughs> They were going to get stoned, so they moved on. But let me flip it. This is, if, if you forgive the slightly aggressive analogy here, the sparrowhawk, when there's no food, they move on. When they've hunted, no hawk flies around forever in the same place, hoping that a mouse is going to emerge from a hole. If there's no food in that field, they move on. And we're called to live our life in so many ways. We can enrich it with friendships and loving people and serving them. All these things are a legitimate part of our discipleship. It's not just singularly just talking about Jesus. That is our focus today. But I think I want to say this. Let's see how it comes out. There may be a time to move on from building a friendship in the name of making disciples. Because there just simply isn't any fruit or food there anymore. That may seem, sound callous or cold. I'm not being that. I'm being, I think I'm being prudent and wise. That doesn't mean stop friendships if you don't think they're going to come to Jesus. Not at all. I've got some university friends who I met last week for lunch. I've known them for 27 years. I've, I've shared the gospel with them. One from an alpha course. I don't think they're coming to Jesus at this stage in life. God's going to have to do something. They've heard everything I have to say. It doesn't mean I abandon them. They're still my friends. But I'm not plowing loads of time in trying to see if God's at work. Can I bring them to Jesus? I'm just, I see them every, every four to six months. They're my friends. Now, I'm not setting rules for life here. You understand this, don't you? I'm just saying, I think the one challenge here is that sometimes we just need to move on. That might be a work situation. Maybe the opposition is so strong in your work that as a, as a, as a robin, you need to move on because the sparrowhawks are there. Or it may be, as a sparrowhawk in that workplace, you're recognizing, 
you know, part of it is to do a job, but I think God called me here to make disciples. But there's no longer opportunities there. Maybe it's time to move on. Controversial in this individualistic day and age to define your job on the basis, is it making disciples rather than do I be a microphone back? It's not binary. It's, it's more complex. It's more nuanced. I know, I know that. But hear my heart here. Hear what I'm challenging you on and don't hear what I'm not saying. We're unlikely to face opposition where we're going to get killed. <laughs> At least nowadays, anyway. But we may face opposition that, or situations that just, we need to imprudence and wisdom say it's time to move on. It's time to invest my time and energy elsewhere for the sake of making gospel, uh, making disciples and preaching the gospel. I hope I've communicated that well. But what happens when Paul and Barnabas move on? And this is our final speak. What happens? Verse 7, not verse 6. They found out about it, fled to the Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. This is our fourth speak. Sometimes it's necessary to speak elsewhere, to move on. They moved on, they kept speaking. The opposition didn't put them off, they kept speaking. I want to finish this morning by asking the question, why? Why did they do that? Why are they doing this crazy mission? Why are they going across from city to city facing stonings and still choosing to preach the gospel? Why are they doing something that's not as risky? Why are we called to make disciples as well as be disciples? Why am I encouraging us today to speak, 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 speak? This is why. Verse 3. We are told what Paul and Barnabas shared <coughs> is a glorious message of grace. Have you heard this message of grace? Let me briefly remind us or tell you for the first time what this message of grace is. Rachel prayed out this morning, we are sinners. You may not like that title, but we have sinned, which means we're not up to standard for God. I'm sorry. You cannot approach God on the basis of your own righteousness. You cannot be friends with him. You cannot guarantee your eternal destination on the basis of your good works. I cannot do that. I am not good enough for God. I've wasted what he's given me. I've not followed his ways. I've not lived in the way he's asked me to. I've fallen short of his standards and his glory. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve. You see, what I, you, deserve is this. Punishment and death. And the Bible says that is eternally 
without God. And it calls it this, hell. If you're not in Christ, if you don't know him, you have got that in store. That's not my words. It's not me scaring you. It's what the Bible says is the truth. Jesus spoke more about this than most subjects. We have sinned, fallen short of its glory. We deserve to die. But the message of grace is this. We don't deserve the favour of God. We don't deserve the love of God. That's what we deserve. I've just told you. I've speak to myself. Jesus. The message of grace is this. Jesus. Who is God? Came to this world. Not to create a beautiful story that we can celebrate at Christmas. But to save you. To take your punishment. To take my punishment. To remove my sin from me. And instead, clothe me with the righteousness of Jesus so that when the Father, the perfect one, the Holy One looks on you or looks on me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus and says this, you're welcome. Come in. Heaven's open for you. Not on the basis of your efforts or your good works because you're in Christ. Because you believe that on the cross, your sins were punished. Your shame was taken away. Your salvation was achieved. And his great love for us is poured out in that way. And Paul, who would call himself the greatest of sinners, has come to know this message of grace and cannot help but speak of what he knows. Let me put it this way. If you had the numbers to an unlimited lottery where every widow would get a million pounds no matter what. And somehow, through fate, through design, through time travel, you knew what those numbers were. If you were to keep them to yourself, would not that be the selfish act? What would you do with those numbers? You would share them with everyone you knew, who you loved particularly. We know the love of God. We've seen it manifest in the cross of Jesus. We've understood this message of grace. We are disciples of him. And in Matthew 28, we're told, go and make disciples. And in this passage here, we see we are to speak, to make connections. We are to speak effectively. We're to speak boldly. And if necessary, to move on and speak elsewhere. And what do we speak about? This message of grace. This salvation that we know. This adoption into the family of God. This beautiful love that's been expressed to us. And this relationship we have with a perfect and holy God. So I won't get Joseph up again. But let us remind ourselves of the theme tune. We've got to talk about Jesus. We've got to talk about Jesus. That's not legalism. That's not pressure. But when you get hold of the message of grace, it's not easy. It's challenging. We'll fail. We'll attempt to do it and we won't do it well. But when we get hold of this grace, we realize it's a message that needs to be shared. And we want to talk about Jesus. And we share that message of grace.
and see many come to know him and also become disciples of Jesus.